Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. About the next 30 minutes, you know, we're just going to like dispose of it and have a, a freeze on here where we can relax and where we can hear God and, and listen to his beautiful comforting words to us. And, uh, and let's just see. So Father, right now, those of us, all of us, and we all have these days and weeks, sometimes years, Lord, uh, where we just want to be able to dispose of maybe burdens or worries or concerns or challenges or uh, just maybe some things that are kind of attached to us that we would like to get off, Lord, uh, right now. By your grace and mercy, because you are such a loving, powerful, and wonderful God, we surrender these things to you, and we ask for you to come and take them. We lift up our hands, open hands, Lord, to you, to give to you those things that may be heavy on our hearts or in our lives or the ones we love, but also, Lord, open hands so that we can receive from you all that you have for us, God. So bless our time together this morning, Lord. Come and speak to us through your word, through your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I read this. I was going to do this series uh, because we've been in kind of a heavy period of time on grieving and, and uh, emotional health and all that for a few months, two and a half, three months. Um, and so I, I said, well, I think we'll just take a look at who we are. And I was thinking about that, just who... Who are we as a church? Who are we as, a, as this local gathering of people in Myrtle Beach? I mean, why do we exist? Why are we here? Take a little reprieve from, from that, from where we were, and kind of talk about that a bit. And, and, and then I, something in the back of my mind said, there's this television program called This Is Us. Any of you guys watch that program? You, yeah, I've never seen it. Um, I don't know even, I'm not even sure why it was in the back of my mind, but it was just like came forward. This is us. And so I looked it up, a description, and I love this description. A seemingly random, seemingly random individuals whose lives intertwine in unexpected ways. I thought, that's the church. That's the church. That's what that is. Seemingly random individuals. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves intertwined together and be doing life together. And uh, some of us have been at this and maybe even at this church for so long, you forgot how you got here. And <laughs> you're like, I don't know how this happened. And uh, I think it's an absolutely beautiful thing that God does in our lives when he weaves us together with others and in other people's lives and what's going on. And it seems like he does this not only in church, but he does it in family. He does it with friends. This week I had a little reunion with some friends, uh, guys who have been friends uh, with almost 50 years together. And, uh, you know, it seems like we might not see each other for some time. And then all of a sudden when we're together, we're right back to that spot we were. You ever been with people like that? Those are really gifts, you know. Those are... That's something very special. And uh, in the church, it's an amazing thing to look back over time and to recognize how God has done this. He's weaved people's lives together so that it blesses other people's lives. And 
I was uh, thinking about, uh, went back a few years and thinking of, I, you know, you know, you guys, most of you have heard my story a hundred million times, which I love to tell. And, uh, and I probably will tell it again now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that surfing trip and, and then that changed my life and, and the, you know, the friend that shared Jesus with me. And then just a few years later, I'm on a surfing trip with three guys in the middle of the wintertime to Cape Hatteras. And, and God does an amazing work in their life. And we come back and one of these guys played basketball with a teenager, a young teenage guy, uh, just played basketball and shared Jesus with him. And this young teenage guy eventually became a Baptist minister who started two churches, one of which now is over 2,000 people. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I look at this, this intertwining of people and how God brings people together and uh, I'll bet you in your life, I bet you can look in the past and you can see people that God has brought into you, into your circle of influence. And maybe you were only there for a short period of time, but you can look back and you can see what's happened in their lives. Maybe because of some short period of time of your sharing and caring with them. I totally believe that this Christian life is not a static linear, uh, stale, paint-by-the-numbers life. It's not meant to be like that. And I think our, uh, you know, our way of processing information for the last probably 50 to 100 years has been so didactic and so linear that it sometimes excludes the narrative part of our lives and the beauty of the novel part of our lives and how God worked. But you know what you remember? What you remember are the novel or the story parts of life. You don't remember the numbers. You don't remember the step-by-step sequences of life. What sticks with you is the story of life and the people that are a part of that and are going to be a part of that. And I think Jesus, I really believe that. In this book, is, this is a, an amazing book full of stories that are laced together over 3,500 years or so of, more, of showing God's love concern for his creation. It's story upon story, laced upon... And um, so I thought we'd talk a little bit about that. I want to quote probably my favorite theologian, talking about didactic, but I like this. N.T. Ryder, Tom Wright. Uh, said this in his book, Simply Christian. Uh, We have been so soaked in the individualism of modern Western culture that we feel threatened by the idea of our primary identity being that of the family we belong to. Especially when the family in question is so large, stretching across space and time. The church isn't simply a collection of isolated individuals all following their own pathways of spiritual growth without much reference to one another. It may sometimes look like that and even feel like that. And it's gloriously true that each of us is called to respond to God's call at a personal level. You can hide in the shadows at the back of the church for a while, but sooner or later, you have to decide whether this is for you or not. And uh, I, I think... Truer words have not been spoken. 
Uh, over in Matthew 4 is where we'll be. Flip your hand out over. There it is. There will be a fill in there. Very simple. Three this morning. Over in Matthew 4, 18 is one of my, uh, one of my favorite, favorite confrontations of Jesus and his best friends when it was first happening. Matthew 4 is probably, even though as we read this story, it looks like this very spontaneous moment. And I used to read this story and I got so romantic about it, you know, because it, it was kind of like my life. It was like I wasn't thinking about Jesus. I wasn't, Jesus was not on my radar at all when uh, I was told about him. None. I mean, it's really, it's really, even all these years later, it's kind of crazy. I mean, uh, I think back to it and, and uh, you know, it wasn't that I was seeking him. I wasn't. It's just he confronted me. He found me. And he confronted me. And every time I would read this story for decades, actually, I would, you know, I'd, you'd hear the song and the music. And I would go, that's me. I was standing by my boat. It was just a surfboard. And, <laughs> and you know, Jesus walked up to it and he said, follow me. And I said, I didn't really drop my surfboard, though. <laughs> but, um, but I was like, okay, you know, grabbed it and started walking after him. And, and, but it was one of those things where you're just doing what you do and, and suddenly he's there and, and something changes, something miraculous, something that, you know, if it, if it passed, if it was something that was just an emotional moment in my young life at that time, it was just something like that. And a few months later, I went, ah, you know, I don't know what was, maybe it was, maybe that was just the residue of my 60s, <laughs> you know. Maybe what I experienced was a little bit of that that was hanging on, and uh, I won't go into detail. But um, <laughs> let's just say, you know, just like your brain has chemicals, there were chemicals floating around in the 60s. And, um, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what I was, that's what I responded to. But then as the years went on and on and on, and, and not that uh, you don't have struggles and not that you don't ask questions, but as it goes on and on and you feel the roots of, of what happened digging deeper into your life and deeper into your life. And, and the firmer it gets, even with the winds and the erosion of life and the letdowns and the questions and the drama that enters all of our lives at times. And uh, even with all of that, you still feel this thing that's gripped your heart so long ago, still gripping it and tighter and tighter, even in the midst of all of that. Then you, one day you... Kind of go, wow, I guess this was, this was a real deal. <laughs> Something really did happen that, um, that has kept, you know, kept me and held me through all of this. And so uh, in this story, as the disciples are doing what they do on their job, fishing the Sea of Galilee there, it will look, when we read this story in Matthew, it will look as though... Uh, Jesus walked up and never met them and suddenly hit them with follow me and they had this moment and they dropped everything. But most likely this is after they had already met him. Uh, Jesus had moved into this area uh, out of concern because John the Baptist, his friend, had been arrested. And so Jesus was in this area, ministering in this area on the Sea of Galilee and moved into that area because if you read in Luke, you find out that he was in that area because of this. So this is not one of those, the first time maybe he's ever seen them. He probably, they had had some contact prior. 
So somehow there was, God was already working. And of course, God is always working in us prior to that confrontation in many ways. And, uh, and so we join, we're going to join Jesus here in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. It sounds so nonchalant, doesn't it? Jesus just like, oh man, I think I'll go out and take a walk by the ocean today. And uh, as he was walking by, he saw two brothers. Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. It was a cast net. Some of you have cast nets, right? You know, around here. So this was a cast net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, at once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were known as the sons of thunder. Now, what does that say to you about this, these personalities? Right? I mean, they were probably pretty tough characters. Pretty, uh, you know, fishermen, and they had tempers. They were probably like some of the construction workers I grew up with. <laughs> and some of the people I was around when I was a little kid. And uh, so Jesus has reached this set of brothers. Now he's moved on there. You know, uh, Peter and Andrew are with him. And now he's coming up on James and John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. This is a bigger net they were getting ready to put out, not a cast net. And Jesus called them and immediately they left. Here it is again. Immediately they left. Immediately they left their boat, the boat. And what? Their father and followed him. That story just grabs me and just grips me because that is not the story that a lot of us hear nowadays. You know, we try to make it so easy to come and be a Christian and, you know, you can do it instead of leave everything. You leave everything and you walk off and you follow Jesus. I want you to notice a few things. Here's your fill-in this morning. And this is this story that we find ourselves in. The story that the church, that the vineyard in Myrtle Beach finds itself in. If you are, and I love this description, a follower of Jesus. I've always loved that description more so than even Christian. I love it that you will see yourself as someone following Jesus. This story has a leader. This story has a primary character in the novel of life. If you were sold a gospel that says, make a decision for Jesus, thank you, goodbye. Now follow these rules. And you will be okay. You were severely shortchanged. Severely. And as a matter of fact. That is a formula. For. Dissatisfaction. Disillusionment. It's almost a bait and switch. It's almost like. Jesus has done so much for you. Now here's what you can do for Jesus. And now you've got to measure up. And here we go. Instead, Jesus doesn't, you know, it's so, to me, he doesn't walk up and he goes, 
Richard, will you make a decision for me right now? Or Tim, May 1st, 1971, will you make a decision? Yes, sir. Oh, great. See you later. All right. You know, and that's the way a lot, a lot of us, maybe you were sold that. Now it's up to you, right? Now you're on your own. Now you get the rule book and you start working. You start working hard. And it won't take very long before all of a sudden you're going, I can't do this. I can't do it. Much as I want to do it. Much as I want to feel better about myself. As much as I want to feel better about who God is. I just can't do it. You know why? Because we're off there by ourselves. We think that God has walked off from us. Jesus walked off. He saved our souls, but he won't save our life. He gave us a mandate. He gave us a set of rules and called us to something. And then he walked off. And most churches, I have to tell you, most of us are just, we're worn out. We're working so hard to try to feel better. When Jesus is like, Follow me. In other words, we're going somewhere with this. It's not just make a decision and you're on your own anymore. It's like, come on, let's go. Let's go. This story that you find, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if, if, if Christ means something to you, you have a leader. This story of life at Seacoast Vineyard Church has a leader. His name is Jesus. Each of us in our spiritual lives are not left on our own. We're not left by ourselves or to our own devices. We have a leader. It's not just believe, it's follow. I think that's why the scripture talks about we are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. You get that? That's movement. That's motion. That's activity. That's not some didactic in the moment decision where it's all over. Now I have got to figure out a way to live out my decision that I made 48 years ago. No. All I have to do is keep my eyes on the one who started this. Because he chose you. You didn't choose him. Now, this pickup game, sitting around the edge of the basketball court, Jesus walks up and chooses who? Now, I think he chooses everybody. I think he's going after every single person because God so loved the world that he gave his son. I think his love is great enough that he calls every one of us to himself. And we have to decide as he compels us, as he pours his love out, we're we respond to that, but it was his choice. You know, we follow Jesus. We follow him from that moment of the boats or that moment at church or that moment on the beach or wherever Jesus came into our life and said, follow me. We follow him back into our job. And he doesn't follow us. You get that? It's like, I wonder if Jesus is here. No, we're following him into our job. We're following him into our families. He's already there. It's like I don't know if God is in this, this situation. He's there. You follow him back into your areas of responsibility. 
You're not like, Jesus, please come to my family. Have mercy. He's like sitting on the couch going, oh, man. I thought Peter, James, and John were bad. And it's like, dude, I'm right here. I'm here. You know, we follow him back into the world. That's the glorious, beautiful news of the gospel. Come, follow me. Follow me. Follow back into your family. Follow back into your job. Follow me into your pain. Follow me into your pain. He gave Peter a very tough word, you know, right before he left. You remember those words? You know, Peter's looking over at John and going, hey, you had not said anything about him. And, you know, Jesus goes, well, it's none of your business. You know, what if I want him to live until I come back? It's none of your business. Peter, you follow me. You follow me. And he told him, he says, you're going to, you know, it's going to cost you your life. Paul. When he saved Paul on that road. And he told the guy that prayed for him and got his eyes healed and all of that. He says he needs to know how much he's going to suffer for me. You know, sometimes it's not God get me out of this situation. I just want to know you're here. Sometimes in the loss and the pain, there is no way out of it. But if I know he's there and he was there when I got there, it makes all the world a difference. He was there with Peter up to the last moment. He was there with Paul. You look at their lives, you look at their writings in the New Testament, and you watch their lives, and you realize they were following Jesus right on through every bit of it. You know, this is not, this is not us making our own way through life after we've made a decision. We have a leader. This story has a main character. The book of the life of this church has a main character. It's not Tim Holt. It's the Lord of all. It's Jesus Christ. It's him. That's the, that is the main character in the novel of our going together as a church. And that's the main character of you in your life and in those that you know. It, it's that love him. Uh, it's, you know, following Jesus into your successes, how you handle your successes, the way you respond to your successes, your victories. It's following Jesus into them and it's following Jesus into your, your failures. It's realizing that all of life as I walk through it, he is there with me and he's through all. He's there with all of it. He is sitting with me. He's there. Our relationships, the failure of our relationships, the breakup, the reconciliation, the redemption all of it, we have a primary subject in this novel of life. And his name is Jesus. Um, you know, this church is a collection, is a gathering. It's a very, man, this is, what, what's those cats with all those colors? Calico? Is that the kind of cat it is? Some of you cat people out there? Um, is that right? With all the multicolors, you know? You know? That's what we are here. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, I know a lot of you, and, and uh, I have to tell you, it's in a beautiful mosaic, an absolutely beautiful mosaic. And uh, it's, it's very much uh, an awesome statement of grace. And it's not unlike Jesus' disciples, to be honest with you, the people that were around him. And uh, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, God has always had a people. 
He's always had a people. He had Israel in the Old Testament. That's where Christ would come from. He would come through Israel. So uh, Israel had to be preserved. And the patriarchs and the whole story. It had to be preserved. Because the picture of Messiah coming. Of how God would redeem the world. Put everything to rights. The way it should be eventually. In the long term. And so if you look at that. God had a people in the Old Testament. Now everybody else was invited to come along. They were invited to be a part of it. But he always had a people. And then when we get to the New Testament. What does he have? He has a people. He has the church. It never was just an individual. And, and like Wright says about our individualism. Our individualism. In this country. Our individualism will rob us. Of our corporate identity and calling. Because we are all so freaking totally. I am man. I know. We're all individuals. And there's nothing wrong with being an individual. But being individualistic is a whole different thing. It's when we're so separated from everybody. No one's in our life. We're our own kingdom. Our own God. We don't invite others in. We don't see ourselves as a bigger story with others. We don't see that the bigger story of the church is our story. And that we are a part of it. And so we go together. We don't see God having a people. We see God having me. It's about me. If I was the only one in the world, God would die for me. I hate that saying. I hate that saying. Do you realize what's on the other side of that saying? It's all about me. That's what it's about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and what? Me as myself. No, your neighbor as, right? Your neighbor as yourself. This is a collective thing. We have a leader. God has always had a people. When we were out at our conference, uh, we had a speaker, Mike Pilavachi. Man, cracked me up. He leads a huge gatherings over in England called Soul Survivor. And um, I think they, I just saw on Mike's Twitter feed, they had 10,000 young people. I think it was. They have them in tents and they have bands and they share Jesus over in England. And, and uh, Mike was sharing about James and John and uh, Peter and Andrew and talking about them. And he said, like, did you notice that Peter, like when Jesus changed his name, remember from pebble to rock, basically. But what happens right after that? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's like Peter... Uh, Mike said Peter was rocky for about four seconds and then he was Satan <laughs> you know but this is the people Jesus chooses you know he knows us he knows our ups and downs and when you think like I can't do this I can't well, you're right you can't but you have a leader you have a subject you have someone that's taking you somewhere follow me follow me and uh, John, I mean, these guys obviously had tempers, sons of thunder. They had problems. I mean, that's God calls ordinary human beings, people who have foibles and who have struggles and doubts and fears and, and uh, you know, ego problems and, and hurts and pains and are weak and strong. And, and he calls all of us. He knows us so well. I mean, in John's gospel, Mark, and I've mentioned this before that, that John in his gospel talks, refers to himself kind of in the third party a lot of times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> he doesn't say, hey, Jesus loved me. You know, he goes, 
the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it, it, it might point it out that at the end of the Gospel of John, John says, hey, the, there's not enough books in the world to contain, you know, the stories of Jesus. There's not enough books. If all the books were written, there wouldn't be enough to hold it and all. But yet John, in his gospel, writes that he's the beloved disciple, takes space <laughs> up in the few words that we do have about Jesus, about himself. You know, I think that's great. I think it's lovely. And plus the story of, remember, going to the grave? John takes off and outruns Peter. John takes enough space up in his gospel to document that he's faster than Peter. <laughs> I mean, if there's not enough space in the world to write about Jesus, why would you take up space in the gospels to put about your amazing competitive prowess? You know, I mean, that I'm faster than Peter. You know, look at this. And, and so, I mean, I think Jesus, my point, Jesus knows us. There's no pulling punches in the scripture about the raw material he gets with us. He knows. He knows we have anger. He knows we have hurt, pain, competitive natures. He knows all of that and yet he still calls us. And he says, follow me. Because during the following, something happens just like you watch Paul's life. Just like you watch Peter's life. Like you watch the folks who walk with Jesus. Things begin to change. Because they were following him. This church... This church has a savior. There is a leader in this church named Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, 12 and 14, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. Now this is John documenting this, right? I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That's how we can follow him. Because we know him. We know who he is. And this life, this life of following Jesus is not solo acts. We go to concerts and I love to see one guy with a guitar and see how much music they can get out of it by themselves. But that's not the life, Christian life. The Christian life is an orchestra. The Christian life is an orchestra with a conductor. He sees that every part is played and played beautifully. And when we're out of tune, he patiently sits with us and helps us tune up our life. And never kicks us out of the chair, never disbands, never refuses, but says, follow me and I will teach you, right? We have a leader. His name is Jesus. Secondly, the story, the story has a purpose. Look at the, uh, I will send you out. Follow me, I will send you out. It's not like follow me and that's the end of the story. Follow me and we're all cuddly. Follow me and we're all just going to be here together and it's all good. Oh, it's awesome. And, and man, I feel like I'm finally come home. And, and, and it's, no, it's like follow me, boys. Follow me, girls, and I will send you out. This story has a purpose. It's not just gathering inside the building. It's not just gathering together. It's, there is a purpose in our gathering. There's a purpose for us to be together. You know, follow me and I will send you out. Follow me and I've got an assignment for you and I will send you out. Come with me. I'll teach you. I'm going to send you out. John 14, 15, 16, what? All about the Holy Spirit. I got to go back. Holy Spirit's going to come. going to inhabit you. He's going to teach you, all of you guys. He's going to be with you. 
So, hey, watch for him to come. I will send you out. The church does more together than it would ever do with us by ourselves. In this church, in this locale right here, over the last 23 years, you guys have done an amazing amount of touching people's lives. We have far exceeded uh, touching people's lives when compared to the numbers that we are. I mean, from day one, from day one, Thanksgiving, first Christmas, and the first Thanksgiving our church ever had, you know what we did? We cooked Thanksgiving dinners, and we took them to the porn shops and to the strippers. And we fed them. Not because we like what we're doing, but because God loves them. And you know what? The porn shop found out that it, we were a church when we took the food to them and wouldn't take our food. Because you're from a church. And we know you hate us. What would you give us food? We cleaned the tennis courts and the basketball courts at Atlantic Beach. We cleaned up the whole town one year. We walked through the whole town and we picked up every piece of trash. This is the first year of our church. Second year of our church. Third year of our church. We paid medical bills for people who didn't have the money to pay for them. We couldn't have done that unless we had been together. Unless we had done this together, we couldn't have done it. We had $120 in the bank when we started this church. That was it. But you guys have done that. Because Jesus said, follow me into Atlantic Beach. Follow me out onto the streets of Myrtle Beach. Follow me. And then when we get there, I'm going to send you out. I'm sending you there to love them and take care of them. And to show them I love you. All Nations Cafe is taught, I mean, last count, I think it was 3,000 students or something like this. Uh, last numbers I got. This summer. Just this summer. Just this summer. We've been doing this for, what, six years, five years now? I mean, it's grown to five, six sites up and down the beach. It's, you know, there are hundreds of people and 20-some other churches involved now, and it all started from one heart, a couple of people going. There's like 6,000 international students that come into this area. Can't we somehow show them the love of God? That wouldn't happen without you guys. and It wouldn't happen unless we did this together. That's the only way it gets done. God always has a people. And we're not the only. We're just a little teeny slice of the pie in Myrtle Beach. Just a little piece, but we are a piece. And I think that, you know, the little slice that we have is pretty tasty. You know, I think that uh, people can get a little bit more of a taste of who the vineyard is in Myrtle Beach than the more we can affect our culture and affect our city. I mean, right now we've got three folks at least out on the mission. Doug's out. He's in England right now. He's been in Tanzania. Doug and his team's been out ministering and raising up leaders. Roy and Pandora left on Friday. They're in France, and then they go on to Egypt. Uh, you know, Rick and Susan are in it. Hey, Rick and Susan, I know you're watching Facebook Live. Love you guys. Praying for you. <laughs> and uh, they're there in Italy, and they're doing the work. I mean, those are our, that's our family. That's a part that, that we couldn't do if we weren't together. The story has a purpose. We have a mission. There are opportunities. There's so many more opportunities to come. Uh, you know, Alpha 
If you know people who struggle with believing that there is a God Alpha, that's what you want to invite them to. If you know someone who doubts the reality of God and who wants to have a discussion about that and can ask any question they want to ask, you need to invite them to Alpha. That's, that is a format that is there for them. And uh, bring them to it. Uh, lastly, notice that once they left their nets and immediately they left the boat and their father. And that is that this story does have a cost. It does have a cost. Again, I think this is a bait and switch a lot of times in church. You know, it's come to Jesus and have all your needs met. Sometimes it's come to Jesus and die. <laughs> but it's worth the death. You know, come to Jesus and there's a cost. There's a cost sometimes in our lives. Well worth it. Not that you give it up. It's just also, you know what else it costs you? It will cost you loneliness. That is that he will always be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So this is going to cost you feeling like you're alone for the rest of your life. You're going to have to give that up. That's going to cost you. It's going to cost you thinking that you'll never go, th that I've got to walk through this life by myself. Nope, you're going to have to give that up. Because Jesus said, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'll be there with you through thick and thin. It's going to cost you those times. Those people who realize that the pearl of great price, the Bible, that's what the Bible called. You guys ever read this? It's like in here. Like there's another story about a pearl of great price. And this guy knew that it was buried in a field. And Jesus is telling this parable. And he's like, it's worth going and selling everything for. Sell everything you've got so you can buy the field where the pearl is. It costs. I mean the pic picture is right. It's worth putting everything. Everything here. So I can have this. So I can have the pearl. Of great price. Which is Christ. And not just Christ. But it's the kingdom of God. His rule and his reign. The power of God in our lives. To come and change our lives. Our loved ones. Our communities. It's worth the price. And the price is, I believe, I surrender. Here I am. And then Jesus goes, see you later? No. Let's go. Let's go. That's the church that God has planted here in the vineyard 23 years ago. That has been at the heart of this church all of this time. It's still at the heart of this church. It is the clarion call of God to us. That the pearl is worth whatever it costs us. That seeing the love of God and the kingdom of God in our community is worth the price. Because we have tasted the beautiful presence of Jesus Christ in our own lives. And others deserve the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We want to thank you this morning, God, for loving us. Thank you for never, ever giving up on us. Thank you that you are here now, abiding with us in this room. And like 
Dr. Wright said, it does begin with that personal response to God to say, okay, Jesus, I believe you're who you, I hear your voice, follow me. I believe you're who you say you are. I don't understand everything, but Jesus, I believe that. I believe I hear your voice saying, follow me. And I'm going to say, okay. And while we're praying here, I want to ask this morning, if you're responding to Jesus today, by dropping your nets and going, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Would you let me know? Lift your hand up and tell me. Let me know this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.